America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, welcome to Politics by Faith. I'm Mike Slater. Thank you for being here. And thank you to everyone for downloading the uh, Christian Parenting course. Uh, great feedback on that. So thank you very much. I'll give you a coupon code at the end of the episode here. By coupon code, I'll give it to you for free. I'll just tell you how to do that uh, in just a couple minutes here. But if you're new to the podcast, we take a story of the day and that, that's causing anxiety. We break it down. We lament the brokenness. Uh, of, of what's going on. And then we give some historical perspective and biblical peace that hopefully makes that anxiety go away. And then something that is in your control. A lot of the anxiety comes from first, oh, this has never happened before. Nope, nothing new under the sun. And also it's totally out of my control. And a lot of it is, but there are things that are in your control. So when you can focus on those then the anxiety goes away. So that's why we're here. The story of the day, five Memphis, Tennessee police officers charged with second degree murder of 29 year old Tyree Nichols. So what's going on here? Let's just get the political side out first, and then we can move on to what really matters. The political angle of this story was that in the beginning, the media kept saying that the police officers killed a black man. Police officers killed an unarmed black man. What a racist country we are. Then we come to find out that the five police officers who are charged with murder are all black. Sidebar, one of the police officers who was arrested for the murder of George Floyd was also black, but no one ever talked about him. Memphis, Tennessee, population of 633,000, 65% of the population is black. Memphis and Detroit are the only two cities in America over 600,000 people that is over 65% black. Right, so Memphis and then Detroit is uh, about that size and 77% of the population is black. The police chief of Memphis is a black woman. The Memphis City Council has 13 members. Seven of them are black. Again, the five police officers are black. This has nothing to do with race, but the media so badly wanted to make it a racial issue. And they still do. They can't stop. Van Jones at CNN, he said, the police who killed Tyree Nichols were black, but they might still have been driven by racism. Hmm. The claim is that anti-blackness is so pervasive and so dominant in our culture that even black people believe that black people are inferior. Even white, white hatred of black people is so strong that even black people think black people are dangerous. He says these ideas can infiltrate black minds as well as white. Self-hatred is a real thing. That's why a black store owner might regard customers of his same race with suspicion while treating his white patrons with a deference. Black people can harbor anti-black sentiments and can act on those feelings in harmful ways. You white people are so racist that you've made black people racist. That's, so what happened? So that, that's the political thing. Are you with me? Like that's, we can move on from that nonsense. So what happened in this case? We don't know everything, of course, but what we do know, January 7th, Tyree, 29 years old, father of a four-year-old son, works at FedEx, which is the major employer in Memphis. 
moved there either right before or right after, right in the beginning of COVID from Sacramento, was pulled over for reckless driving. More on that in a second because the media leaves out quite a big detail about that because it's framed as, well, he was only pulled over for reckless driving. More in a minute. The video doesn't show why he was pulled over. The video doesn't show how reckless he was or what the police saw. So the video picks up with the police yelling at him, get out of the, get out of the blanket car, get out of the car. They, he stops at a red light and they uh, pull him out of the car and get him on the ground. When the video starts, the police are coming in hot. Here's just a little taste just so you can feel the energy. That was the very first moment they turned the body camera footage on as soon as they got out of the police car and ran and pulled him out of the car. Hopefully I got all the F words out of there. So he's sitting on the ground, kind of, and police are telling him, I'm going to tase your blank. And he's he's on the ground saying, stop, stop, stop. You kind of heard him like kind of calmly, but he's still not all the way on the ground like the police are telling him to. He will not lay on his stomach and put his arms behind his back. And he said, "You you guys are doing a lot right now. I'm just trying to go home. I'm not doing anything. So they shoot him with a taser. It seems like it didn't hit. And then they use pepper spray. And then he gets up and runs away. And that goes to show that's why what looks like excessive force is often necessary because first things happen fast and B, people get away a lot. And if he had a gun, could have used it against the officers, could have ran to his car and grabbed a gun. It's dangerous to be a police officer. So the first body camera, it stays with this person for a while. And he's pouring water in another officer's eye because pepper spray got in his eyes. So then you go to video number two and it picks up about seven or eight minutes or so later and some officers uh, find him, right? He ran away. So eight minutes later, they find him. Here's just a little bit of that chaos. Mom! Give me your hands. Give me. Okay. All right. All right. Give me your hands. Give me your hands. All right. Okay. He yells mom because at this point he's at an intersection and he's about two houses or so away from his mom's house. I'm going to jump forward and, and this is when things were most chaotic. Watch out. I'm a baton to you. Get it up his. Watch out. Watch out. Give it his. Give it to his. Give it to his. Same location. Ross and Kelsey. Ross and Kelsey. It's hard to tell from that body camera footage how much he's resisting or how much a person in that state could even resist, right? He's been pepper sprayed and beaten already. Like, it seems like, and we'll know more surely, that some of the officers got pepper sprayed and those officers got very angry. They walk away for a little bit, collect themselves as best they can, make it so they can see. And then they come back with even more force. And that's when things get get more, even more violent. So two or three officers are are holding them up at this point. And you can see barely from the footage that some officers take punches, swings at his face. And you can see a couple of the punches from the body camera. But then there's also a security camera on a telephone pole that gets the whole thing. 
And there you can see the officers punch him very clearly. By one count, nine strikes from the officers. Uh, I've heard plus or minus a few. Here's uh, CNN. No, sorry, this is the New York Times. Mr. Nichols appears to have been kicked violently at least twice in the face, beaten three times with a baton, sprayed in the face twice with a chemical, and punched in the head six times, all within the span of three minutes. And then, when they, when he can't move anymore, they handcuff him and then drag him and lean him up against a police car. And CNN says roughly 23 minutes pass from the times Nichols appeared to be subdued after the beating before a stretcher arrives on scene. 23 minutes. In the meantime, all the officers, they don't pay him any mind. A couple times he falls over, literally leans over on the ground, and they just pick him back up again and sit him on the next to the police car. But they, they don't. They don't do anything to him. And they're just a debriefing about everything he did and what happened and all the rest. The five officers charged with second-degree murder and kidnapping. I don't know how the kidnapping thing works. But second-degree murder in Tennessee uh, classified as a knowing killing of another. In the prosecution for violation of this section, if the defendant knowingly engages in multiple instances of domestic abuse, assault, or the infliction of bodily injury against a single victim, the trier of fact, the jury, may infer that the defendant was aware that the cumulative effect of the conduct was reasonably certain, that's a key word, reasonably certain to result in the death of the victim, regardless of whether any single incident would have resulted in the death. Oh, when, when this gets to trial, we can break all that down uh, further. But were these officers reasonably certain that what they were doing was going to cause him uh, to die? Hmm. First degree murder is premeditated. This is not premeditated, but we'll see what the jury says about second degree. What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. So Tyree's perspective, I mean, who knows? Why was he not scared? Was he scared? Surely. Is he hiding something? Was he on drugs? Did he not want to get arrested and lose his job? Maybe he was sleeping behind. It could be anything. He could could have been high on something. He could have been sleeping behind the wheel, and that's what made him swerve on oncoming traffic. And that's the key that I referenced earlier uh, that we don't see on footage. At one point in the body camera footage, not often shown, an officer says to another officer, he on something. And another one says, that MFR on something. And they say he's cutting through traffic. He was cutting through traffic, oncoming traffic and everything. And they tried to pull him over. He refused. Then ultimately stopped at that red light. And here is a, a key moment that no one's talking about as well. Then he was going from a gun too. So I'm like, hey, he, grabbed, he grabbed Mark he grabbed gun gun You can't see from the video, but the officers are under the impression that 
Tyree was going for, the officer's gun grabbed uh, one or maybe even two of the officer's gun. Another officer at one point says, we tried to get him stopped. He didn't stop. He drove around, swerved, nearly hit my car. So, first of all, why on earth would anyone be a police officer these days? It's unbelievable to me. These guys are ordered to keep order in a lawless place, in a place where crime is rampant. Van Jones, that article we were referencing earlier, he says black cops are often socialized in police departments to view certain neighborhoods as war zones. I don't know, Van, maybe certain areas of town are war zones. All day, every day, all night long, these guys see the worst of the worst. People doing horrific things and no one ever obeying their orders. What percentage of people do you think try to resist arrest? What percentage of people that they try to arrest resist? (laughs) Seriously, what percentage of people that they arrest say, I can't breathe? 100%? So who do you believe? When they're saying, I can't breathe, what are are they supposed to do? Just let them go? The more police videos you see, you can see how easily someone can escape officers grasp how easily they can grab a gun, run to their car, grab a gun, and then you're dead. You can be, you can be a police officer your whole life, get killed in an instant, or try to arrest someone who is driving in oncoming traffic, and then they die, and you go to jail for the rest of your life. Back to George Floyd, restraining him that way was police protocol. I'm sure they've done it a hundred times, and the person did not die, and therefore nothing happened. George Floyd had fentanyl and meth in his system. He dies, and then you go to jail for the rest of your life. Thanks for your service. Brutal. So this is another case of if he just laid on the ground and obeyed orders, he'd be fine. And of course, also not doing that shouldn't be a death penalty, but what are we to do? And I totally, I mean, I get Tyree, like it can be pretty scary to be yelled at by five giant police officers. And and again, if you don't want to go to jail, I can understand someone doing whatever it takes to not. It's understandable to be scared, but a very bad idea to run. Quick historical background. There used to be no police officers in black areas of town and residents complained. They said, we want police officers to keep law and order here. But like the, the racist white police chiefs were like, we're not going to waste time in the black areas. But the neighborhoods, the residents were like, oh, we want police here. So like, okay. So police department started policing. And then the activists said, no, this is no good. We want black police officers to stop the racist policing in our neighborhood. So now we have black police officers in black areas of town and still not right. Why? And no one wants to say this. The reason this is all messed up is because no one wants to go to jail. People want to do what they want to do and not go to jail. So until you make jail awesome, people will resist arrest. If you went up to someone and said, uh, excuse me, sir, you're under arrest. We're going to Disneyland. They would say, great. Here's my hand. Here's my arms. Let's, let's go now. Can I bring my family? But you say, sir, you're under arrest. You're going to jail. They don't want to. And what are we just going to not arrest people? Because then everyone will resist arrest. No one will ever go to jail. So are we to the point now where if you do something illegal and police try to arrest you and you say, I can't breathe, they just let you free? Like, what is that? Is that where we're... So it's a real pickle. Jail's no fun. So when someone's on drugs or whatever, they don't want to go there. They'll resist with every ounce of their being and make really bad decisions. And officers are not, we can't let them get away. 
So that's the story. Now, what's really going on here? I got a Gallup poll here. What do you think is the most important problem facing the country today? That's the question. What's the most important problem facing the country today? 21% of people say the government, poor leadership. 15% say inflation. 11% immigration. 10% the economy in general. 6% unifying the country. 5% race relations and racism. 5% homelessness, hunger, poverty. 4% crime and violence. Okay, biggest problem, okay? Noteworthy that only 5% think it's racism. That's interesting. But then the lowest on this list is ethical, moral, and family decline. 4%. Only 4%. You kidding me? (laughs) You want to fix every other issue? Great, me too. Then let's get to the ethical, moral, and family decline of our country. You want to stop crime? Focus on the family. You want to stop inflation? Okay, let's get back to a proper understanding of debt and spending. You want better politicians? Great, me too. But politicians are a reflection of who we are and what we the people want and how little we hold them accountable. We get what we deserve. So you want better politicians? Okay, we got to deal with the ethical and moral decline of this country. All the other problems in America, you want to get to the root of them? It's our ethical, moral, and family decline. And 4% of people think that's the biggest problem. <laughs> like, tell people that is the problem. So the real issue of this story right here, it's a mix of, of course, not obeying orders and of the officers not showing self-control. Hard to obey orders when you're high and or, and we don't know if he is, but that's what the officers like. Oh man, this guy's high on something. Hard to obey orders when you're that, or terrified of going to jail. And it's hard to have self-control when someone's going for your gun. And it's all such a shame. All of it. I hate it. I hate everything about it. This is the lament section. If you notice, there's so much lawlessness around Memphis, Tennessee is awful. I used to live a town over from Memphis. This is the local news a couple months ago. The Shelby County, it's Memphis. The Shelby County Commission will meet Wednesday to address crime in Memphis. Shelby County Commissioners created a special task force. Oh, that's it. That'll fix it. To address a topic that continues to gain attention, uh, crime. A task force. Good, a task force. 346 homicides in 2021 in Memphis. 346. (laughs) What a day. Memphis is broken. Absolutely broken. It's got nothing to do with race. It's culture. It's a culture of knocking women up, not being a dad, taking drugs, dealing drugs, joining a gang. School is dumb. Don't snitch. Where do we go on? It's just a broken culture. Not everyone, but the criminals run the show. And the innocent people are hostages to the crime around them. And the justice system isn't swift or sufficient. Criminals are back on the streets, terrifying the community again. And we have police officers who try and keep law and order. And they're either killed in the law line of duty or they go too far and their lives are ruined. They go to jail or they just do nothing at all. And then the crime continues to spiral out of control. It's such a bad situation and it will not get better until we address our ethical, moral, and family decline, which only 4% of people think is the biggest problem in America. It's the only problem, or I should say it's the root of every problem. All right, so what do we do? Let's talk about some history and and Bible here. What do we do? What do we do about following the law? I'm 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 broadening this out to all of us, all of us, not just Tyree. Biblically, 
It's very clear when it comes to following the law. Let me just state the outline and then we'll fill it in with scripture. And then we'll get to Nero. You are in every way, you and I are called to in every way, obey the laws of the land. Until that law would cause you to disobey God's law. And then it's very simple. You follow God's law. But the third part of this is key. When you obey God's law and disobey civil law, you must take the consequences joyfully. So when you obey God's law and disobey civil law, you will be punished for it. And you must take the punishment and face the consequences like a man joyfully. Christians are not called to do the, um, sure, I disobeyed the civic law, but don't punish me for it. Oh, don't put it. No, you're to take your punishment with joy. That's the outline. Let's fill in the cracks. Romans 13, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established, except for Gavin Newsom, except for that dictator, except for that tyrant, except for that politician you really don't like, except for those police officers. No. This is a very difficult scripture for many, not to understand, difficult to accept. Me too. This is hard, right? Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, even Gavin Newsom, even Nancy Pelosi. Nah, Bible, you don't, you don't understand God <laughs> for there's no authority except that which God has established. Wow. What do you mean you stopped? There's no authority that which God did not like, man, that's tough to come to grips with, but. It's as clear as day. There's three institutions that God ordained, marriage, the church, and civic, civil authority. That doesn't mean that everything within those ordained institutions will be perfect. Far from it. There are bad marriages, husbands and wives, sin and profane marriage. But it doesn't mean that God did not ordain the institution of marriage. He most certainly did. Same with civil authority. Just because there are tyrants doesn't mean that God did not ordain the institution itself. And we are called to obey it. It's quite clear. Continuing on, the authorities that exist have been established by God. That includes police officers. Police officers are ministers of God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So when you resist arrest, for instance, or don't pay your taxes like you should or steal or whatever, when you break the law, you are rebelling against ministers of God, what God has instituted. Mm, tough. So... Well, let's go on. And then what will happen? Those who do so, who break the law, who rebel against God, will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, the struggle here is because you're thinking what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, Paul. Okay, that's a perfect scenario. That's a perfect world. But you don't know what it's like living in California. Hooey, let me tell you, Paul. Let me, t- let me tell you about corrupt. All right? Let me tell you about living under Joe Biden's America with our open borders and everything. You, you're, Paul, you're there talking about the good rulers. Okay, sure. If you have a good ruler, then you have nothing to fear uh, unless you're doing the wrong thing. Sure, sure, sure. You're talking about the good rulers. But you don't understand, Paul what it's like to live with an unjust ruler. (laughs) And Paul's like, "Mm, let me tell you about Nero. We'll put two minutes on the clock for this one. Born in 37 AD, he was the fifth emperor of Rome, 
took over power at 16, ruled for 14 years, committed suicide at 30. So he was in power around 20 years after Jesus was crucified and uh, Christianity was spreading. 14 of the 27 books in the New Testament were written during Nero's reign. How about that? So Nero, the emperor, murdered people, murdered his first wife, his second wife, his mother, and his stepbrother. Uh, a little more detail on the first wife, uh, who was his stepsister. He ordered her, her to be bound, her wrists slit, and then suffocated in a steam bath. Then her decapitated head was brought to him to prove that she was dead. Nero murdered his second wife with his own hands or feet, kicking her in the stomach while she was pregnant until she died. He murdered his mother and sometimes lover. He tried to kill her by putting her in a boat and sinking the boat, but she swam ashore, so he just had her murdered in her house. Then he castrated a boy, married him, dressed him like his ex-wife. Then he married another slave boy, but this time he played the role of the bride. So uh, that's Nero. Some say all this bad stuff about Nero is exaggerated and that Nero is the victim of a smear campaign. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was a great guy. This is the historian Tacitus. He says, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of the governors, Pontius Pilate. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Lit Christians on fire to use as human torches. How about that? So Nero did not care much for Christians. And Paul was writing in Romans that the people of Rome needed to obey their civil authorities. Nero. So he's talking about. So if Paul told people under Nero's rule, he wrote in Acts 25, Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal. That's Nero. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. And that's that, the third point. If you choose to disobey a civil law because it's against God's law, you have to take the penalty. And you have to take the penalty and punishment joyfully, as Paul did. John MacArthur says, In my many, many hours of talking with my dear friends in the former Soviet Union, many of whom spent 10, 15 years in Siberian prisons because of preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've asked them many, many times, what was their attitude when the government came in direct conflict with the teaching of the word of God? And their attitude was they accepted without complaint. They accepted as the will of God, the fact that they would obey him and suffer the consequences. So let's just review the order of operations. It's very important. First, Peter 2. Uh, there's a section on living godly lives in a pagan society. Verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So no matter what the form of government, no matter what the style in which it works, we are called to respond to governmental authority. Obey the law of the land, whether it's taxes or do not resist arrest, whatever it is. And you obey until it comes into conflict with God's law. 
Acts 5.27. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said, that you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and, his, and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. There you go. Simple. So they did. So they disobeyed civil law and then they accepted the consequences joyfully. Acts 5.40. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They probably got 39 lashes and they rejoiced. When you disobey civil law in the name of following God's law, you cannot complain about the earthly consequences. Let's bring in the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, letter from a Birmingham jail. If you haven't read it in a long time, read it again. It's fantastic. Um, he talks about just and unjust laws. And, and then he, at the end of his letter, he says, I wish you had commended the Negro sit-inners and demonstrators of Birmingham for their sublime courage, their willingness to suffer and their amazing discipline in the midst of great provocation. One day the South will recognize its real heroes. They will be the James Merediths with a noble sense of purpose that enables them to face jeering and hostile mobs. And with the agonizing loneliness that characterizes the life of the pioneer, they will be old, oppressed, battered Negro women, symbolizing in the 72-year-old woman in Montgomery, Alabama, who rose up with a sense of dignity and with her people decided not to ride segregated buses and who responded with ungrammatical profundity to one who inquired about her weariness, my feet is tired, but my soul is at rest. They will be the young high school and college students, the young ministers of the gospel, and a host of their elders, courageously, nonviolently sitting in at lunch counters and willingly going to jail for conscience's sake. So breaking unjust laws, civil laws, requires sublime courage, willingness to suffer, discipline, noble sense of purpose, dignity, profundity, courage, uh, nonviolence, and willingness to go to jail for your conscience's sake. It's beautiful. So don't break any civil laws. Obey the police. They tell you to get down, you get down. Stop resisting. Obey them. If you disobey an unjust law, well, your conscience is clear. Your conscience is clear. But be prepared to face the earthly consequence and take it while rejoicing. Agabus was a prophet. He went to Paul and took his belt, tied up his hands and feet, and told him the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, you, Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So he's saying, this is how the Romans are going to kill you. And the people all go to Paul. They say, no, don't go, Paul. They're going to kill you. Don't go. And Paul said, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you're going to break the law, Make sure it's only when obeying God's law instead. If not, you're just disobeying God. And when you don't follow police orders, you are disobeying ministers of God. Now, when it comes to the police officers, I don't know what it's like to have someone reach for my gun or to get blowback from pepper spray. I have no idea what that's like at all. But self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. You've seen the video of police officers lined up 
and uh, protesters are just screaming in police officers' faces, like like a centimeter from their face, just screaming in their face. And the officers just look forward, don't move. I'm not sure how well I would do in that moment. But I always admire those officers who show the self-control. A Navy SEAL friend of mine said, all it would have taken is one of those five officers to yell, stop. And the others would have stopped. One officer to take a leadership role and snap some sense into everyone who was acting, it seems, out of their sound mind. We expect ministers of God to have self-control, especially when they have such power and authority and guns and when they're acting in the name of God. Wow. Maybe this is one of the problems with living in a godless culture too, is that we don't, our politicians don't understand uh, their role in relation to God and police officers, many perhaps don't understand that they are ministers of God and are called to something higher than maybe they're calling themselves to in the moment. Hmm, interesting. All right, so what do we do? What's in my control? Follow the law. <laughs> uh, you want to change the law? Great, change it. And if you can't follow a law, if you live in a state and you just can't follow this particular law, great, leave it. Follow the civil law uh, and never disobey God's law. Choose God's law over civic law every time and be prepared to be thrown in jail. How would you respond if you were thrown in jail for disobeying civil law but obeying God's law? How would you respond to that? I'm, I'm being serious. How would you respond being thrown in jail or losing everything for disobeying a civil law but obeying God's? In the meantime, fight against every force in our country that's trying to get you to be tribal based on race. Do not fall for that. Fight back against that. The Black Lives Matter race baiters are going to try to get black people angry and white people bitter. Do not play that game. Be colorblind. Or there's a new word, color smart. Right? The, the argument is that uh, if, if you say you're colorblind, you perhaps could lose out on the fullness of God's design because he made us all in God's image, but we look different and let's not ignore the difference in ways we look. It's like, okay, I get it. But colorblind doesn't mean to ignore the color of people's skin. It just means we treat everyone the same regardless. Can we get back to that? We can judge culture all day long, judge behavior, not color. Race is a meaningless concept made up by terrible scientists in the early 1800s. It is bad science. It is the theme of this week's um, morning motivation. Go back to Monday's morning motivation, and we talk all about this, this science of race. It is absurd. Embrace colorblindness. And you're going to get the anti-racist people today who are saying, no, no, colorblindness is bad. You, you have to see color and, and lift up black people. Like, no, no, colorblindness. The whole, all of culture today is telling you that colorblindness isn't good enough. That's the answer. It is the answer. Wendell Phillips, he was the president of the American Anti-Slavery Society. His nickname was Abolition's Golden Trumpet. 1865, he called for the government, the creation of a government colorblind. So he wanted all laws that mentioned race gone. I don't want any mention of race in the government at all. Abolition's Golden Trumpet. Wendell Phillips, I want a government colorblind. 1896, Plessy versus Ferguson. This was where the court ruled that separate but equal was constitutional. But you know that decision was seven to one. There was one dissent, Justice John Marshall Harlan. And he wrote this, in view of the constitution, in the eyes of the law, there is in this country no superior, dominant ruling class of citizens. There's no caste here. Our constitution is colorblind and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. 
In respect to civil rights, all citizens are equal before the law. That was the one dissent. Decades later, there was a lawyer for the NAACP, Thurgood Marshall, went on to become the first black Supreme Court justice. And he was battling segregation in the courts. And uh, he always used that line, that, that dissent, as his inspiration. Our Constitution is colorblind, was his favorite sentence. It became the basic creed of the NAACP, at least back then. Because now, Ibram X. Kendi and all the other race baiters only want you to see color. Far from being colorblind, they only want you to see color. Ibram X. Kendi wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist. He said, uh, the most threatening racist movement is not the alt-right's unlikely drive for a white ethnostate, but the regular Americans' drive for a race-neutral one. He says the most threatening racial movement, racist movement in the country is people being colorblind. <laughs> you kidding me? Coleman Hughes, he says colorblind is an expression like warm-hearted. It uses a physical metaphor to encapsulate an abstract idea. To describe a person as warm-hearted is not to say something about the temperature of the person's heart, but about the kindness of his or her spirit. Similarly, to advocate for colorblindness is not to pretend you don't notice color. It is to endorse a principle. We should strive to treat people without regard to race in our public policy and in our private lives. Galatians 3.28. was a 19th century theologian, Albert Barnes. Uh, so Galatians 3.28, he said, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Albert Barnes, he said, All are on a level. All are saved in the same way. All are entitled to the same privileges. There is no favoritism on account of birth, beauty, or blood. Mm, great. All confess that they are sinners. Oh, but what if your skin is darker? Or Nope. All are saved by the merits of the same Savior. All are admitted to the same privileges as children of God. It does not mean that all are on the same level in regard to talents, comforts, or wealth. Paul means to teach that no man has any preference or advantage in the kingdom of God because he's a rich man or because he is of elevated rank. No one is under any disadvantage because he's poor or because he's ignorant or a slave. All at the foot of the cross are sinners. Mm. All at the communion table are saved by the same grace. All who enter into heaven will enter clothed in the same robes of salvation and arranged not as princes and nobles and rich men and poor men in separate orders and ranks, but mingled together as redeemed by the same blood and arranged in ranks according to their eminence in holiness. Perfect. All right. So what do we what do we think about as we end here? What do we meditate on? As Rome burned, Nero used the Christians as the scapegoat. And Christians were killed, and their crime was labeled as hatred of mankind. This was because Christians refused to participate in the Roman pagan idol worshiping, and they didn't partake in all the other idolatry of the culture. And they called that hatred of mankind. Okay. If that's hatred of mankind, guilty as charged. So when you get accused of that, hatred of mankind, will you take the penalty like someone who knows there's something better yet to come? The name of the show is Politics by Faith. It's inspired by Hebrews 11. But a lot of people don't make it to the end of that wonderful chapter. After they go through all the heroes of faith, it ends with this. And, and what more shall I say? Time will not allow me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, and escaped the edge of the sword. 
who gained strength from weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign enemies to flight. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused their release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Still others endured mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went around in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and hidden caves and holes in the ground. They were all condemned for their faith. Yet they did not receive what was promised. God had planned something better for us so that together with us, they would be made perfect. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope this is helpful. I hope it takes some of the anxiety away from it all, makes it personal to each of us. Uh, ChristianParentingCourse.com. It's a parenting course I made many years ago. I only had, I think Grace was just born. And now we have four kids. That was kid number two. Now Grace is five in a couple weeks. So, so it's five years ago. Uh, but it's all still relevant stuff. It's all stuff I got from a parenting course at uh, my church. And it was wonderful. It's mostly for kids zero to five. I'd say that's probably about about right. Uh, ChristianParentingCourse.com and just type in the promo code PBF, Politics by Faith, and you get it for free. So thanks to everyone who's already signed up. And uh, I'd love some more feedback on that as well. Slater Radio at gmail.com. Have a wonderful night.